for a really long time, I didn't know what grief actually was. I thought grief was specifically reserved as the thing that you feel when somebody that you love dies. It was only really through reading about other people's stories that I saw the term grief being used a bit more widely than that. And I've had some revelations really over the past year or so that are sort of coincidental to the past year having been my autiphony as well, that have helped me understand that grief has been a big part of my life for many, many years. But not understanding that, not being able to recognise what it was that I was feeling, honour it, feel it, give it space within my heart and let it be part of my life and part of my expression meant that I was really denying my very being something very, very important indeed. I'm able to look back now and see the points at which grief has come through in my life, how it affected me then, how I really didn't understand at the time what what I was going through. So I'm able now to give those feelings the very large space that they actually require and to honour them and to reconcile that really within who I am at this point in my life and really honour that and really honour, I think, the, the vulnerability of the child, the young girl, the young woman that I have been previously. When I look back, it's very clear that the first point in my life that I actually experienced grief was when my big sister left home. When I was eight or nine, I think nine, she left to go to university. And my actual actions at the time, looking back, were very obviously um, the actions of a grief-stricken child. But I had no language at all either for myself, nor was I offered any kind of language or recognition from the adults around me at the time, because I don't think they could possibly have known what I was experiencing. And the thing about my big sister is it's not just that she is a gentle, beautiful person. It's also that she really was, from the moment I arrived into this world, my safe person and my caregiver, which I could not possibly have understood at the time. Neither of us could have understood that at the time. So the departure from this incredibly important presence and this incredibly safe and gentle person from my life, my day-to-day life, and from my home, her absence was indescribable really, in its impact on me. And I just have these very strong memories um, of finding myself just sitting in her bedroom and 
smelling her clothes that she'd left behind um, and the perfume that she wore being on her things. And I remember also if I was out and about and, you know, an adult woman walked by wearing my sister's perfume, I would want to, I would want to grab them. I would want to grab them and say, where is she? (laughs) Where is she? I couldn't give those feelings any of the recognition that they needed. Not consciously anyway, but, but having said that, having said that, that's not strictly true because actually I really had no choice. I felt those feelings. I had plenty of room for them back then because I spent a lot of time on my own. And I, you know, I did sit in her room as people do when someone has passed. And it might sound terribly dramatic, um, but that's the truth. And that was, you know, that was part of my life then going into my teens. The second wave of grief in my teens, or actually before my teens, probably my sort of early adolescence, was I became aware of a feeling of homesickness that I had all the time, even when I was in my home, which I did find a bit baffling. I knew that I was a very sad person. I knew that I was a very scared person. But the homesickness feeling was a specific thing that wasn't about fear or sadness. And in hindsight, I'm thinking that that was probably about the age where I started really, really, truly losing my sense of self. Um, and I'm I'm thinking that that feeling was probably loss specifically, and I think it was loss of self. That homesick feeling in my gut lasted then for years and years, and once I started kind of building a home with my now husband, um, and and building a safe place of my own, the, the feeling subsided over time. But I was aware often of that feeling. And I used to get it confused with guilt. Like if I was at, an, at, at something that was meant to be a nice time. I remember in my teens going to the fair with some people from school. Um, and then later on going to music events and things in my early 20s. And I remember thinking, I'm supposed to be enjoying this. I'm supposed to be feeling relaxed and enjoying it and having fun. Um, But I feel, I feel this weird homesick guilt feeling in my gut. And I don't really know what it is. Is it depression? I'm not really convinced it's depression. I don't really think my day to day life looks and feels like someone who has depression. And I'm looking back now and I'm thinking that was a sense of loss that I just had in my core. That was just feeling grief. That was the thing that I could be at a lovely, beautiful event and think, this is a lovely, beautiful event. I'm sure everyone here is having a very nice time. I can't. I can't have a nice time. I can't enjoy it. I feel something inside me that I can't describe. And I think, yeah, in my 20s, I started describing myself as melancholic, 
and thinking, yeah, melancholic. I'm obviously a melancholic person. And, you know, on Friday nights, if I was home alone, you know, what I typically do is get in the bath, drink three glasses of wine, cry, go to sleep. I'm thinking, well, I don't know if this is normal or not. I don't know. But this is this is me. The biggest kind of sense of loss, like it was a real kind of multiple whammy experience around the age of 19 was really kind of the total collapse of my uh my family unit um and everything I'd ever known um I was the last person in the family to leave my father uh to leave the family home in which my father was still you know, still part of the furniture, still part of that place. It was all a bit uh, chaotic, the way it happened. And some of this is not my story, so I'm not going to tell those parts. But what resulted was at the point at which I'd finished school, A-levels, and I did have a university place set up to go to, but I found that... My father and I were the last two standing, basically, in our family home. And I felt, without really making a conscious decision, I felt that I couldn't leave. It felt too like, too much all at once, too significant, too much change. Um, so I deferred my university year and decided to stay put for a year. I don't really remember anyone asking me why I'd made that decision. I don't know whether anyone was interested or not, because I had the place lined up. But I stayed. That year was tough. In many ways, that was the worst year of my life, because it was by far the loneliest I've ever, ever been, ever. What made it extra lonely, I think, was being in the family home with someone who I desperately wanted to connect with, but I couldn't find an in. I could not find a way. I could not find a way, um, which broke my heart. So my heart was really broken that year. It was broken by my boyfriend of two years who broke up with me to go and have, you know, a glorious time at uni. I didn't have solid friendships at that point because I was so complex the people I was making connections with as friends were so complex as well because like attracts like of course and those fledgling young adult relationships really didn't have much of a foundation yet and we were all struggling to survive I did spend time with people socially but we and we all the people I spent time with we knew mutually that we were both you know whoever they were that we were kind of quite broken broken people in a way or traumatized people but we had no language for that whatsoever I didn't have a network I didn't have any kind of network it was a strange year again there was this really indescribable feeling that I had I knew I was lonely I knew I was heartbroken and they were very very challenging feelings to have and I was starting to have I was starting to have real problems with quite um, harmful coping uh, behaviours around food um, and 
self-injury. But there was something a bit less clear for me emotionally, which was that feeling of being in this house with this person who I desperately wanted to have a connection with, who was meant to be a parent to me. And I wasn't, it wasn't I was demanding parenting. I wasn't asking him for anything. I just wanted us to feel like we were two people connecting in some way. Um, He would cook meals. I didn't really know how to cook. I sort of knew how to make a stir fry and that was kind of it. And occasionally I would make a stir fry for myself, but he didn't like stir fry. But he would cook meals and it would usually be something like spaghetti bolognese or chilli because he only really knew how to make minced beef-based meals. And there was this feeling that I would get in the pit of my stomach that was like that homesick feeling where he would hand me a plate of food and I would take the plate of food upstairs to this little TV room that my mum and I used to sit in when I was a teenager where I spent most of my evenings and he wouldn't really say anything to me and I'd walk up the stairs with my plate of food and I felt like the person I wanted to connect with so much was a ghost he was there in body but he wasn't really there And I can feel it now, as you can hear. And that was grief. And it's still grief. And I think that's the really interesting thing about the fact that all of those years then passed. um, And it's been, you know, 22 years. 22 years of really feeling like he was already gone. So his passing away this August was really just another step in my loss and my grief around my father and it doesn't feel I don't feel significantly different now than I did then in fact then it might have been even harder I think it was very hard all of the years that he was living But I had this incredible sense of loss. I don't know really still to this day whether I really lost something that I had had in him or whether I'd never had it at all. But that was the point in my life when I started really understanding that. And so it was a loss of something I maybe thought or hoped would be there somehow. Between us, it was a loss of something that I wanted. Oh, so, this is a mega episode, guys. <laughs> because the other thing that I need to talk about, I really want to talk about, is on a very similar theme, actually. And it's the loss, it's the loss of something I wanted. Um, and that is my own children. I think there's too much to describe about how I really ended up in this place because it's been very, very complicated from um, certainly from the age of about 30, year on year, it's become more and more complex and was extremely all consuming from about the age of 33 
to about 38 or 9. It was very all-consuming. How was I going to have children? How was I going to have a baby? I said to myself, and I said to other people, I let I let lots of people think that I had chosen not to have children. I even believed it myself, I think, for a while. I think I had to, in some ways, to protect myself from the reality of it. The truth wasn't really revealed to me in terms of what was really happening in my heart until about a month before my autiphony. So it was October 21. I had started sort of putting a bit of language to it. I had started thinking to myself, it's really weird how I only see stories out there about women who've chosen not to have children and then women who weren't able to have children, who who tried and weren't able to, or weren't able to because their circumstances didn't allow it. Um, Which actually, that last um, version actually isn't that commonly represented, I don't think, either. There's a lot of grief there as well. So I've been I've been in a very stable relationship for 20 years. I have a stable home. We own our home, very fortunate. I have had very secure employment for a long time. I even moved to a, a new job and negotiated a very specific contract when I was about 37 specifically so that I would be able to have a maternity cover. The only explanation for for why I didn't have children and hadn't tried, wasn't trying to to get pregnant even, the only explanation I could possibly reconcile in my own mind and for anyone asking was that I didn't want children. Um, And I I held up that truth for myself um, for quite a long time. But... I had no I had noticed and I had been thinking I don't relate to either the story of the person who didn't choose to have children or the person who tried to conceive and wasn't able to conceive um or or was not able to um was not able to have a pregnancy to full term I I didn't relate to either of those stories and I was thinking I was starting to realize I didn't choose to not have children I didn't choose to not have children. So there was that kind of going through my mind. And then there was a very specific weekend that October where I had noticed that I was becoming more and more emotional um, watching anything on TV or in film where a parent was separated from their child or something happened to a child. I had this real obsession or this really strong reaction to the idea of a child out there in need of a parent or, you know, a child vulnerable or in danger. And then my husband and I went to see a film where that was a theme. There was a little girl who looked uncannily like I looked when I was about three, who had a very lovely mummy in this film. Um, and it was a beautiful relationship. And then they get separated and that's a big theme in the film. And basically, when the film ended, I was sitting in the cinema with drenched clothes, sobbing. And I sobbed 
all night. And it's like something um, just opened up in me. I was very confused by it. Um, And I started talking to my husband that weekend and saying, I'm so confused about these feelings. I don't know whether these feelings are actually about the idea of me being a little girl who was in need of a parent and wanting to parent her, or whether these feelings are actually about I want to be a parent and I feel like there is a child or children out there somewhere in the galaxy that are mine that I'm meant to be taken care of. And I I just had this really strong feeling of there's there's a child out there that I'm meant to be taken care of who I've been separated from. So that's what I said in the evening. And he shared some beautiful insights um, that really just showed how well he knows me about what some of that, you know, might have been. And then I had that, you know, the night where I was, I really couldn't, I really couldn't calm myself. And then the next day, it was really like a dam had burst. And what came pouring out of me were lots of stories. I started telling my husband lots of stories about things I'd experienced and things that I'd felt that I'd never talked about before. And there was a lot of it. And it was half rage at lots of things I couldn't put my finger on because this was one month before finding out that I'm autistic. So there was lots of rage, absolutely not directed at him at all. This man is absolutely beautiful and amazing. Um, Just, it was like it was coming up and out of me like a big like water fountain. And it was like, it was just pouring upwards and outwards out of me. So there was rage, but there was also this, what I now know is grief. And it was the day that I said to myself and said to him, I never chose not to have children. I am a person who couldn't have children. I'm in the couldn't have children category, but not physically, because obviously I never tried. But I couldn't because I just couldn't see a way that it was possible for me to have children when I'm so overwhelmed by everything and I'm, I've got a completely boundaryless relationship with my working life. A lot of this is bound up in my relationship with work um, and I'm going to have to cover that in a separate episode because there's so much there. But I didn't have the knowledge that I'm autistic. I didn't have the knowledge that I'm disabled. I didn't have the knowledge that I had no sense of self and that I couldn't take care of myself which meant I wouldn't even be able to begin taking care of a child. I didn't know any of that. I didn't have any of that language. And on that day, just over a year ago, it just spewed out of me. And I really, I remember just, I really wanted to go out into like a big, massive open space, like a massive field or something, and scream and scream and scream and scream my rage and grief, uh, which annoyingly I can't really do in this, you know, my little garden with all the neighbours. I still haven't screamed. I still want somewhere I can scream and rage all of these feelings out because they're so big. Um, But it all came out that day and I feel so much better now that I've told the truth to myself and to him and to my family And to people, and I can connect with other people now who actually have quite similar feelings to me. I I know other people. 
who are grieving not having children because of very complex reasons, including this, including also not knowing these things about themselves. So I'm still living with that grief and I'm making a lot of peace um, now with not having children. And, you know, people might say to me, well, you know, 41, technically you could try. But honestly, the thought of trying to rush, you know, I'm still grappling with all of the things I'm grappling. I'm still struggling every day. I'm still barely keeping it together some days. I still feel like I'm floating on the edge of reality. And, you know, I'm sometimes on the edge of psychosis, to be quite honest with, with you all you know, a lot of the times. And that's not to say that people like me who, you know, who have a very similar day-to-day life to me can't manage to have children and aren't brilliant parents. I would be a brilliant parent. I'd be an amazing mother. I know that. And I don't need anyone to tell me that. I just can't handle it. I just, it's not something that I would be able to do with the time with the time bounds that I've got on me. And then I would really have to think about realistically for the next 20 years, you know, what can I actually handle? What can I, what's actually fair to do to myself? Um, And I'm fine most of the time, but I have to say it can be pretty tough. It can be pretty tough seeing people having their babies, their beautiful babies. And uh, I hold it together a lot of the time, but, you know, I was at an event recently and, Someone I didn't know walked past me with their newborn baby. And, uh, and of course, you know, the grief comes, the tears come. But it's a relief now not to be confused. Um, and for it not to be a big deal. It's not like a big drama now. I can just say, you know, I can just say to my wonderful husband, oh, the grief has just come on. Oh, you know, I'll be all right. I'll be all right in a few minutes. I'll be okay. Uh, it's just hard. It's just hard. Um, but I love babies and I love children and in many ways I would like to dedicate my life if I'm not going to be a parent I'd like to dedicate my life to making change for all of the the new people coming into the world onto this planet the children the young people to make a better world for them especially autistic children I want a different world for them so I will find a way to dedicate my life to this and that's okay. I think I've got a lot to give. Oh, thank you for listening to me. It feels very good to tell this story. And I want you to know, if you're out there and you've you've got a family, if you've got children, if you've got a baby, if you're pregnant, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. It's such a beautiful thing. And I wish and will work towards a good world, a better world for your children. I'd love to hear from anyone who has experienced anything similar. I really love hearing from people through this podcast. When people email me or send me messages on Twitter or Instagram, it's not just a connection for you, it's a connection for me. I'm looking for my people too. I'm putting I'm putting these things out into the world because I really feel compelled to, I really have to. I have to tell my story. And if there's anyone out there who has ever felt anything similar and for whom this resonates, then I'd love to connect with you. I really would. So let me know.
Okay, take care. Have a good week. Bye-bye.